0: This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring
1: success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, here we go midlife male podcast time i am greg Scheinman. thank you guys so much for listening for supporting the show it's been a blast i love getting the feedback if you like what you hear subscribe to the program wherever you get your podcasts give us a five-star review spread the word tell all of your friends let's keep that midlife male movement growing this is exciting Mr. Sharif Malnick on the Midlife Mail podcast today. I didn't know Sharif personally. This was the first time I had a chance to actually meet him. We had a number of mutual friends in contact. Uh, We share a love of food, of fitness, of family. I was heading down to Miami to meet with my good friend, Daniel Singer of Filthy Foods. Shout out to them and Filthy Daniel over there the most incredible drink garnish company in the world. So I was headed down to Miami to go see Daniel. I reached out to Sharif saying, hey, I'm going to be in town. We don't really know each other, but through the wonders of social media, we have connected, have a mutual respect for one another. The guys at Anatomy, Grant Wieditz, Evan K, who trains there, Dave Lazarus who trains there, the amazing Mark Magnin, what he's built over there. We had this connection through that. And uh, he was gracious enough to say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll come join you. So lo and behold, I had the privilege of sitting down and meeting him in person. We sit down at my hotel I'm ready to do a sound check. I hit the record button on the mic just to test things out. And the next thing you know, we never stopped it. We just jumped right in. Felt like I've known him for a long, long time. And the conversation was a blast. I learned a lot, was inspired, got a lot of history His perspective and philosophy on life and everything that he's accomplished and done is quite remarkable. So we just let it run. I apologize for some of the audio quality. This was not where we necessarily intended to do it, Um, but it's real, it's live, it's transparent, it's the way it is, and the quality of his message and everything he says Shines right through, so we just let it play and we just let it go. He is, and by he I mean Mr. Sharif Malnick. He is one of the country's top entrepreneurs and restaurateurs. The Forge is his celebrated, award-winning steakhouse in Miami Beach. It is the second longest-running restaurant in Miami Beach, right behind Joe's Stone Crab. I hope I got that right. It's amazing. He's also owned the wildly popular nightclubs Jimmy Z's, Cuba Club, Glass, and Cafe Nostalgia. Back in the day, Kate and I lived in Miami Beach before we got married. Those were some times. By day, Malnick is the chairman of Next Wave Funding, which provides funding to thousands of small and mid-sized companies across the nation. He recently added executive producer to his resume with the documentary film Sexology, which was directed by his wife, Gabrielle Anwar, the brilliant and talented actress. If you're familiar with the scent of a woman tango scene with Al Pacino, that's her. Pretty incredible. They're also presently working on a subscription website and spin-off series of the film. As a prominent philanthropist, He has held the prestigious title of Chairman of the Intercontinental Make-A-Wish Ball for 11 years, helping to raise more than $14 million for the organization. Amazing. Under his leadership, the gala has become the most coveted event in South Florida. He has also become the Chairman of the Board of Make-A-Wish South Florida. Impressive stuff. He is a Miami School of Business graduate. He's also got a JD degree from the University of Miami Law School. He sits on the University of Miami Medical Schools Advisory Board and is a board member of the PAL. He is also a regular speaker at Florida International University's Chaplain School of Hospitality. In his personal time, where does this guy have personal time with all that? But he does. And we'll talk about balance as we get deeper into the program as well. He is an extreme skier. Jiu-jitsu enthusiast, licensed helicopter pilot, former race car driver, and offshore powerboat racer, as well as a tech diver, having tested his steel at depths greater than 500 feet. He's run with the bulls in Pamplona. He's ice-climbed the Cascades. He lives in Miami Beach with his wife, children, and various pets. It's a pretty full and exciting life for Mr. Sharif malnick here he is on the midlife mail podcast let's talk about all of it
0: between work or make a wish or you know at university of miami i was just asked to lecture to a business class or a hospitality class at fiu and so i'm really into storytelling and i love storytelling but um I have a. I'm in the executive global executive MBA program right now at UM, and so I have a. I know it's ridiculous. It's (laughs) my third degree. More, right? (laughs) Exactly. It's it's out of control. So um, it's an 18 month program. So, but I have this marketing professor who just we kind of hit it off, and like he's, I'm digging him, and he's digging my work that I'm turning in because I do so much marketing Mm -hmm. in life anyway. Everything we do is marketing. Every business that you run is marketing. But he. uh, he invited me to. You know the Moth? It's on NPR. Okay. It's so uh, the Moth is this storytelling competitions and mm-hmm. people come and they tell stories. He's in the Moth and he's okay. in the championships and I can't go that day because I have a conflict. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh man, th- this is like so serendipitous because it's all about storytelling. The Moth storytelling. Check it out. You'll, you'll Absol- like,
1: absolutely, I will. And you mentioned early, just earlier about it always being about learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here you are now going back to get your executive
0: global MBA now. You know, what what inspired you to, to do that? Well, you know, I, I constantly look at where I'm at and, and I don't want to get stagnant because getting stagnant is going backwards. Inevitably it is, in everything. In your relationships, in your business, in your body. You know, you've got to keep pushing forward just to stay the same and pushing really hard forward if you want to advance right so i'm not satisfied in staying where i'm at in any aspect of my life so you know when you when you come to think about it you know why do i stop or why does one stop learning after college or after law school or after you know why why can you imagine learning at the same trajectory right which is basically exponential from the time you're a kid through college and into your 60s, 70s, and 80s, mm-hmm. can you imagine how far you go and how much wisdom you have, how much knowledge you would have? So I kind of have that attitude where whatever it is, I, it has to be a challenge. I have to be uncomfortable, right? I have to be, whether it be in a therapy session with my wife. Let's go into subjects that make us uncomfortable. If it's uncomfortable, it means I need to grow. There's a problem with that. If, you're, if we're training and it feels uncomfortable, that's where we need to be. Right? It's, yep. if it's comfortable you're in the wrong place because unless you're satisfied with the
1: status quo mm-hmm. uh, and, and now do you think did you get a lot of this you feel from from your relationship with your father I've read a lot about your relationship with, with your father where did this drive does this come from and is this innate do you think that this was instilled passed down
0: that's a really good question so I think it's come from several reference points okay First of all, up until I was in about seventh grade, I kind of felt like I was inadequate. Actually, um, I wasn't. I was, you know, very thin. I was like a twig. I was very light. Um, I wasn't really introduced, you know, into sports. I had to kind of introduce myself into sports. Mm-hmm. I wasn't pushed that way. Um, I was a terrible student up until seventh grade. I was not focused. I didn't know what was going on. And then, so, so, in seventh grade going into eighth grade um something hit me and that was if i don't change something in my life i'm going to be a loser (laughs) because i felt like a loser i'm like i'm not really proud of anything that i'm doing why why am i not good at anything i'm not really trying i'm not committed and i'm not disciplined at all and so i started to turn that around scholastically okay and then it started to turn around physically um and that was really important to me um my father is, you know, my number one mentor in my life. And so he has taught me so much and, and I learn from him every day. We speak every single day. And we talk about business every day and life every day. And he is a he is he is a, a the greatest proponent of thinking outside the box. Not getting jaded. Not getting stayed in your thinking. Um being relentless, uh, uh, tenacious um, and, and, and never giving up under any circumstances for, of anything. Like, so whether it be you know, a business issue, a downward cycle, you know, problems with your kids, a problem with your marriage, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you don't ever give up. And, and he's led by example. And we, we talked a little bit about you can only follow a leader who sets an example that you respect and it's something that you want to achieve. Otherwise, it's just you know, talk, yep. right? And so he's led by example and he has never quit on anything and he usually comes out a winner.
1: Obviously, you know, incredibly blessed to have that type of relationship. Do you have other mentors or what would you say maybe to those guys out there that maybe don't have that father who's like that you know or that are that are looking for that guy because none of us could do it alone yeah. and At various stages of our lives obviously things change but what's your relationship towards either other mentors or, or advice to guys that that maybe don't have it right you know they just don't have their dad
0: yeah so so i have there there are different types of if i can segment things that you know everything overlaps and everything is related to each other so you know like you know physical fitness, and training is related to business, it's related to relationships, and business is related to relationships. And tra- they're, they're all common, universal concepts, right? So when you develop a philosophy, it's not a philosophy that works in one area of your life but you don't use, otherwise it's, it's bogus. It's not really who you are, and it's not really your philosophy. So I have several things. One is that I have in my, in my wife and my partner, I have a best friend. So my greatest mentor is my father, and my best friend is my wife, um, who is extremely talented, extremely hardworking, and extremely bright. So it's great when you live with somebody who's who sets the bar so high, mm-hmm. so it never lets you slip. Like you know, um, you know, a lot of us choose relationships where we dominate, and I have been guilty of that in the past when I was younger. Um, I'm now married to somebody who challenges me. Um, she's one of the brightest people I've ever met and she's just relentless you know, <laughs> she's relentless so, so that, that's a very important aspect So, my father's my greatest mentor she's, she's my best friend and a great example of extremely hard work and extremely world class talent in everything that she does everything she does is extremely professional so when you live around that you want to keep your game up mm-hmm. it's important Right, so surround yourself by people who bring your game up, not that bring your game down. Right, but then if I go and I'll train, like for example, with Mark Megano over at Anatomy. You know, I, you know, Mark played professional football for 10 years. Um, he's a, he's an extremely disciplined person. Um, he believes in, in 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 developing a culture around him that he leads by example. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that I can follow into the, you know, into the uh, fire, because I trust him and I believe in him. Um, And and the type of discipline and and demands that he puts on me when we train, that he's willing to do himself every single day, is something that I admire and it's something that's really helped me. And so, you know, I have different kinds of mentors. There's a, and I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so, you know, there's a, and I trained with this, uh, with this my master, is George Pereira, he gave me my black belt, and very, very dear friend, great mentor of mine in terms of toughness, right? But then when I had some other issues, I would call another great master, Pedro Valente, and I'd say, like, some guy is, like, calling me out on the Internet. Why is this bothering me so much, Pedro? You know, I'm obviously not going to bite the bait because I'm over that, but it's still, nonetheless, bothering me inside. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I I reach out to that guy. First of all, that took a lot for me to evolve to be able to say that to, to another man. Say, hey, this is bothering me. It's bothering me that it's bothering me. Why am I getting so pissed off? Yeah, we're into yeah right, right. And, and mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm say, Pedro, tell me, you know, uh, you know, what what would you do in this circumstance, and how do you I know what to do, but how do I feel good about it? Mm-hmm. Why am I so pissed off, right? <laughs> and so this is me reaching out to a, another really great man and mentor and asking him, because I believe in him. He lives, you know, my other, you know, jiu-jitsu master, you know, I would talk to about how much punishment I can take <laughs> and how can you survive when the 300-pound man is on, on your chest and holding your mouth shot, you know. But Pedro is, he, he's a noble... Know, like a noble samurai, and he lives by a code, and nothing—he never breaks that code. So that's the kind of person that I go to for that
1: advice. Mm-hmm. You know, so we jump in and we start talking, and we've talked about nothing necessarily that you actually had do for for a living or for work or career. We just started getting into this, and what's amazing to me, and, and we talked about a number of even other people in there, and what's amazing to me, and what I find fascinating and really enjoy is. Never so much about like, what the individual thing does. We all do something. We all find ways to make money and build businesses or, or do different things. But it's who the person actually is, you know, who they really are, the character of it. Because if you're good, you know, again, you're disciplined and you're work, whatever you pick, you know, ideally you're gonna be be successful. You've now talked about fitness a little bit, you've talked about relationships, we've talked about you know mentorship. Um, and it comes down to it seems like but like whatever you set yourself up to do, you're gonna you're gonna do it well because you're gonna apply the same principles, the same values, and the same and the same character. But at the same time, if we do shift it back, I do wanna ask you about relevancy and how you have you've been you've had the forge, for example, for, was
0: it fifty? The forge is now fifty years 50 old years, okay. and I've been running it for about twenty seven years.
1: Unbelievable. From, from a hospitality, from a restaurant business standpoint uh, how do you stay relevant? How do you stay motivated uh, going there, working it, you know because it seems like you're constantly changing and challenging yourself and doing all these things but here's something that's been so stable and so successful in an industry where it's almost unheard of Yeah,
0: so yeah. So the forge is my night job, I have a day job too because I run mm-hmm. another business by day and, which makes it more challenging because now I can't sit and incubate all day on what I want to do with the Forge on a daily basis because I'm not there as many hours as I used to be when I was much younger and I didn't have another business to run um, it, none of it is it people always say you know you know, you have, it's an institution you know as if it's somehow on autopilot which it is absolutely not <laughs> you know we live in a city where there's this emergence of of new restaurants that everybody wants to open a restaurant. And now big brands are coming from New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and London. And um, so it's anything but autopilot. It's how can I reinvent myself and stay relevant as an old restaurant in a city that wants everything new. So, um, and it is, uh, it's very difficult. It really is to kind of reinvent and stay fresh and you know so the challenge of it is is to succeed you know like I used to you know you I used to think of things as problems and you kind of want to avoid problems or it's a problem then I realized now that life is about solving problems that's all it is if there's no problems you're not growing you're not going anywhere and you're not going to be you know, maybe if that—I mean, you know, maybe that's what you want. You know, maybe that's what somebody wants. But if you want to feel, have self-esteem, and you want to feel like you've achieved something or you've made an impact in the world, which is, I believe, why we're here—is to make an impact. Then you have to challenge yourself, which means you're going to be filled your life with problems every single day. To me, the trick is not letting it get to me emotionally when I have problems to solve, because that takes me off of logic not having a visceral reaction to every time problems pop up, which is all day long, every single day. So what's the difference between someone who's successful and someone who's not? The one who expects the problems and is, is excited to try to solve them. Mm-hmm. Even if those problems mean, you know, if I fail at this, I could be broke. If I fail at this, my business could be go bankrupt. You know, if I fail at this, I'm not going to make payroll. So you have to be kind of a little bit of a nut. And say, you know, pivot and shift and say, I like this,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you know. So I have this. I got this saying. There's a slogan that's on the wall of anatomy, and I've adopted it, and I actually put it on the wall behind my desk in my finance business, and it says, "If it's humanly possible, I know I can do it." And I really do believe that, and I probably maybe believe it to the extent to my to a fault actually, because you know I, maybe I'm overconfident, but. I'm not overconfident in my ability to do anything right now, but I'm probably overconfident in my ability to think that I could actually do anything. If somebody else could do it, I know I can do it. And I really believe that. You know? I just have to commit and put the time into
1: it. Have you always believed it, or is it something you've consistently worked on? You know, because I look at, at mindset too, um, and everybody can, can, can react differently different situations, different problems, can't get past certain things, hang on to stuff, um, and it's a process, you know, and I work with my coach constantly on it, because every day, you wake up, and whatever your plan was for the day, it's going to go to shit, within, <laughs> within like an yeah. hour, at least in our business, and, and things are going to come up, and it's, again, how do you keep moving forward? Is this a mindset of, of positivity, and that kind of discipline and focus that, you know, that you've always had, or is it something It has evolved and changed over time. And are you firing on better cylinders now than than maybe you feel like you are in your 20s and 30s?
0: So I'm definitely the best version that I've ever been in my life. But I expect to be a better version tomorrow. Because I'm not going to stop growing. There's no way. So it's an evolution. It's hard. You know, the minute you think, and I've gone through these cycles in my life too, the minute you think that everything is going, really well you sit back for a second and then boom you get smacked right in the face right because don't Mm -hmm. so you can never rest on your laurels and you can never let your guard down it's a constant you know it's a constant challenge um and this evolution you know you talked about being positive to me there's like two kinds of positive you know there's the positive where we're just walking around saying you know be positive and have a positive day and Mm -hmm. you know that doesn't really necessarily mean the person is positive being positive, to me, isn't such a necessarily an animated, um, uh, an animated manifestation of who you are. But it's 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 realizing that no matter what happens, that there's a solution out of it, and you just are you clever enough? Challenge yourself to find the solution. To me, that's the positive. Like it's in action, you know. And yes, do you want to remain outwardly positive, it's good. It's good for morale. It's good sure. for people. People feed off of it, but this, but you not doesn't mean you're actually positive. You could just be acting positive, but you give up on things. right? You know, He's the most positive person I've ever seen, except he keeps giving up on everything and quitting, and he really doesn't feel like, he doesn't really believe what he's saying.
1: You're back to walking walk in the walk yeah. that, we, that we touched on. Earth. That's really hard. I mean, and now, that is really hard. It's hard to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's hard to do the same thing over and over again. It's hard, you know, not to quit. And now we're looking around in this, in this social media world and everything else where everything looks great all the time. It's easy to be false positive, you know, or, or come across as positive, yeah. but not be actually really, really doing it. Well put. Now, you grew up here on the beach, in Miami, one of the, one of the lifers, I yeah. guess. Um, and, to be how have you managed also to... It' real, you know. There's a lot of clutter, you know. See, there's a lot of people It's transient, you know. It's changed. in the 20 years since I, since I lived here, yeah. how has it shaped you as an as an individual? Is how do you identify and find the people that you wanna allow in versus what you? Because you, again, yeah, you you're out there, you know, like yeah. you're out there publicly, but you also seem quite different privately and relationship-wise. How have you been able to balance that?
0: Well, I've gone through different, you know, metamorphoses. I mean, quite frankly, um, you know, which I'm really happy that I've evolved. Sometimes I look back and I'm like myself at whatever persona that I had in a particular decade, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm embarrassing, you know. But it is what it is. I don't regret them because they are part of who I am today, and it's driven me. Mm-hmm. You know, those events are still driving me now. But but you know there was a, a time where I think I was a much more of a superficial person, concerned with you know things that really I'm not concerned with at all anymore. You know um, maybe some of that has to do with youth. I think some of that has to do with being egocentric, which was a uh, you know a constant battle that you that I fight and I think that we all have to fight is trying our, our ego never does anything good for us. I mean, it, its intent is to destroy us, embarrass us, put us in jail, you know, break us up. I mean, the, our ego, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, the ego, I think, is different than drive and wanting to achieve. Right. Right. So, um, so you know, I, I have uh, I've stumbled in the past, you know, through the 90s when, you know, I was much more involved in nightlife and hospitality because I owned a couple of nightclubs and a couple of restaurants. And So, you know, that sort of That was my lifestyle then. Um, And I I have to say that around 40, I decided to... uh, I started getting into, you know... In the 90s, I started to get into boat racing. Then I got into car racing. And by the time I was 40, I ran a marathon. And those things started to shift me, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, after a few failed marriages, you know, finally... Sort of maturing and settling down, and I'm up so early in the morning too every day and training, and I'm in my office early in the morning. And I'm, you know, I, I've, you know, I think of myself more as a finance person now mm-hmm. than I do as a. I certainly don't. I'm not a nightlife person anymore. So it's I've shifted and I've evolved over the years.
1: So let's talk about that a little. Bit. The the shift into you consider yourself a finance person. And you mentioned earlier that you have a, a day job, you know, and you have the night the night job, which yeah. is. Great, you've got two great, two great things going on amongst a lot of them. What are you doing with your days? What is, what is the finance job, so, and business that you're Yeah,
0: so we fund small and mid-sized companies. My brother-in-law and I run the company, um, and we put out uh, anywhere from ten thousand dollars to two million dollars to companies across the country. It's very technology-based. Um, you know our algorithms and proprietary sort of scorecarding. Uh, we we will fund the company within 24 to 72 hours. We never even meet the merchant that we're funding. Um, high risk, mm-hmm. um, so high stress, <laughs> uh, and a lot could go wrong, really quick.
1: What charged you up about this? How did you pick this particular? American?
0: Well, so so we're traditionally ah. my family is in the lending business, and we've been in consumer lending. And this opportunity came up for me to jump into this B2B lending. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not lending, it's factoring. And uh, so I j- jumped into it, um, not knowing if it was gonna be a right fit. And um, I think I've taken to it really, really well. So I'm really enjoying it.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think it is that made you take take to it? Again, very different, you know, you've talked about nightlife and hospitality and being out there and all the moving pieces of that business. Yeah adjustment to be, I guess, in an office, you know, or be looking at things differently from either behind a screen, or as you said, you're making these decisions pretty quickly, but it seems like it's, a, it's quite a different lifestyle also.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's, I, I love it. I love the lifestyle. I love the challenge. I love being part of a, a business that, you know, it's so technical, um, so mathematical, which I really enjoy, um, I enjoy the marketing side of it. I enjoy the underwriting side of it. I enjoy the the systems, IT side, because we have eight full time software developers working on our systems, okay. you know, full time. Mm-hmm. So that's been a, a tremendous education, and you know, basically, I'm responsible for for all of that, and it's uh, I've had to learn it all.
1: It's a unique mix of just kind of left brain, right brain, and maybe most. On. Usually you get you know, people that are more creative, you know, and some that are more maybe numbers or business driven. Have you always kind of had this balance also between left brain, right brain, and, and challenging yourself on both sides?
0: So I think that, that any business that requires right brain, like the restaurant business and all the creativity and kinds of things you have to come up with in designing. I mean, when I redid the restaurant, I had to design it. You know, That's all right brain. Uh, but to run the business is left brain anyway mm-hmm. So or you're just going to have a really great place that's busy that's losing money so the left brain is always involved but I think also in the finance business when you look at um, you know you think of it as usually left brain but for me to come up with some of the, the deals that I've come up with it took some really creative thinking um, on how to source leads and how to bring additional income into revenue streams into the company So so it's kind of Things aren't as black and white, where mm-hmm. something seems like it's left brain, but there's actually a lot of right brain in it, and it seems seem like it's a lot of right brain, but there's actually a lot of left brain in it.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your your routine. What is your daily routine? What time are you getting up? What are you doing? Do you follow the same routine every day, or do you like things that are changing? We're doing this at ten. You were probably up, you know. I think we texted, you know, six or seven. You know, what's your what's your day?
0: So, I, like, I, do like, I do like routine. So, you know, I, I know what days that I'm working out, sub, you know, obviously subject to something critical to jumping in and ruining that workout. But generally speaking, I like things, you know, I, I eat lunch at the same time every day, I know when to schedule my meetings. So, I mean, this morning I'm, I'm doing physical therapy for my leg, I broke my leg uh, almost eight months ago. My tibia and my fibula, snapped it. Okay, so I was, at physical, I was up at six this morning, physical therapy by seven, out of physical therapy by eight. Normally I would be in my office by 8.30 because I go straight from physical therapy. Um, if it wasn't physical therapy, it would be a workout. And then I'm in, I'm in that office um, working at NextWave, which is our funding company, um, do a, you know working lunch, stay there in the afternoon, if I have time to, to put another workout in there in the, on my way to the restaurant in the late afternoon evening, I will. If I don't, then I don't. So I try to do something, train every day. But sometimes I can get two in, which is mm-hmm. my favorite. Um, and then I'm in the restaurant. So and in between all that, I'm, I'm having meetings and you know sales meetings or you know development meetings or management meetings in both companies. Um, sometimes I'll do my management meeting, my forge management meeting from my funding company by Skype, okay. and so I'll have everybody at my conference table. Sometimes I, I run to the meeting. Lately, I've been in those meetings. I think they've kind of needed me there, but so. Um, and then uh, I go I go home probably. Uh, so I'm up between five thirty and six. I'm out of the house by six thirty, and then, or you know, in either in the gym or physical therapy, and then I get home between ten and eleven at night.
1: What's the downtime? When do you make the either alone time or couple time now? Uh, can you turn it off a little bit too?
0: Yeah, I mean, right now what's really fortunate is my wife is co-writing a book, which is taking her like 12 hours a day every single day, which is wonderful because I'm also having to fit in studying for this, you know, global executive MBA program. Which you know, like my financial accounting exam was six hours. You know, my 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 corporate finance exam was five and a half hours. Fifteen hours to do an assignment. You know, it's like so I'm having to put that in. So all day Saturday and all day Sunday I study, and then I work Saturday night and I work Friday night. You know, and so. So usually Sundays is our, is our day. But right now with the school and with her writing, it's kind of perfect because she's writing while I'm studying. But mm-hmm. Sunday nights are date night and Monday nights are date night. So I don't go into the restaurant on Sunday night or Monday night. Okay. Um, and I think when the school's over and her writing is over, we'll go back to having Sundays off. And, you know, I do like to get a workout in, some kind of workout. It could be a recovery workout like that. Sure. Uh, Maybe Bikram yoga for an hour, 90 minutes, you know, just to clean out and detox or, you know, some kind of, you know, recovery workout. Active recovery because we're all yeah. kind
1: of, we need that too. It all, it all counts. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know, I think, better than anybody. The kind of levels that, yeah. levels that you're hitting right now are pretty amazing.
1: Well, thank you. It's it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Like, like anything. Everything. In a lot it's of respect. Education and kind of. Understanding your body and figuring out where that fits in with your lifestyle, and everybody's is, is different, and getting better at saying no—that's another thing. You know, to certain other things as well. So it's kind of cool. How are you with saying no? I mean, it sounds like with your schedule, between the businesses, between the marriage, during your own training, get into the injury and, and, and the rehab, and, and there too. How are you with with saying no? Right, with all of the things that you're asked to do, Or how do you make your decisions in terms? What you're going to commit to, and what you have to—they're or maybe implying something. Say, hey, no. I, I can't do that. I can't be there.
0: So, so, I thought I was pretty good at it, um, but again, you're never really—you can always do things better, Like right? Whatever you're doing, you can do it better. Like you're not actually at a hundred percent. You know, um, actually, just this morning in rehab, I was doing this. Of skate jumping from cone to cone. I was really pushing myself, and I started to say, I was exhausted, I was breathing heaven I started to say, You know, I gave it a uh, hunt, and I stopped, like, Well, that probably wasn't 100%. Really, this 100% is dying. Okay, so there's always a little more you can squeeze out. I mean, we've been feeling, you know, I think out on the field you give 100%, I'm sure, but there's in life generally, you, can, you know. So I thought I was really good at. at time management and prioritizing but I realize now that I have so little time really that I wasn't as good as I could be and I was saying yes to a lot of things that I don't need to and I had to reprioritize a lot of things to get through this 18 months with the school and with my two businesses and make a wish and all that and so um, so now I'm saying no to things and including not always getting that workout in that I needed to get in only because you know I can't you know I can't I can't do it all mm-hmm. i'm gonna to have to prioritize and not excelling in this program which means more than just getting a's and everything it's in, in absorbing the information material that i want to change my life is not an option right but that that's becomes the overwhelming priority right now you mm-hmm. know and then maintaining my businesses so that something bad doesn't happen sure. like that you know yeah. so so a couple of things have to take a a little bit of a backseat, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's a, it's an important distinction that certain things can take a backseat. They're not eliminated, but it's also at the point where we can't do every single thing we want to do every single day, kind right. of that, that means, okay. Yeah. I can't wake up at the same time every day. I can't spend this time with my kids every day. I can't work out yep. this hard every day. I can't write this amount new business. I can't take care of my existing client. I mean, and see my wife, and do all the, If you try to do everything every day, yeah. and it's one of the gifts that I've gotten out of even doing as many of these interviews as I have, is finding out how other people do it. One of the breakthroughs has really been that if you really break it down and you try to do everything every day you're, you're gonna fail it's, it's impossible but at certain times of life other things take priority it's, it's it's overall balance and some things may drop down and some things may come up yeah. a little bit your passions might change or and flow a little bit but if the overall balance of, of life and quality and, and everything that you've got going at the end of the year if you look at it and go okay did I hit what I wanted to hit did I get down where I'm sure maybe a little out of shape you know and then second quarter of the year because we had a big goal, you know, that we needed to hit. But we yeah. got it back in third quarter and once we closed that deal, you know, move on and you look and say, did I accomplish, you know, what I set out to accomplish over X period of time as opposed to, shit, I got 24 hours a day. Eight, eight, at least eight of them are going to be sleeping, yep. you know, for, for me, you know, in there. That's not enough time to do yeah. every single thing I want to do. That's in very a, well articulated, in every by day. the way. Um,
0: that, that's really, really well articulated. I
1: was probably stolen from about 60 other people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't actually learn this until, like, I had to do every single thing every day. Mm. But also you can look at it and that is, okay, let's say you can hit all those data points every single yeah. day. How well are you doing them? I, um, so, you know, yes, maybe you can go, that's just sort of, that's just like... The security guard that hits the key because he Mm -hmm. has to show that he was at that corner at that time but he's actually not paying attention to anything you know so you're just going through the motions and you didn't really get anything out it's about quality time so i'm just getting that now like like skiing i train 12 months a year for skiing so i'm never out of ski shape so i don't have to get into ski shape right Mm -hmm. so important to me and i ramp it up on several months before but i'm always i'm doing legs four days a week because i don't want to ever i don't want to suffer trying to get Mm -hmm. ready for skiing so i just stay in ski shape right I'm not doing that this year. Like, I had a broken leg. I'm not going to... This is not my ski year. I'm in school. I can't go as many trips. I know that. But I didn't think that way when I first broke. I'm like, I'm not going to let this stop me. And So, you know, as far as the rehab, I went crazy on it, you know, to get better. But but I realized that I have to take a little back seat right now. You, you just said it so well. Like, the fourth quarter, the second quarter, okay. But overall, after the end of the year, if you keep yourself busy and you maintain certain minimums, the... You're, the comeback is is not great it's easy because you're you're right there you're just not at the you're best at the peak, of your life right? but you're
1: not letting yourself go but you may not be at your peak exactly. somewhere in there it's an easier yeah. thing to dial, to dial it back because right. it is it's, it's longevity and sustainability also I want to talk to you about the injury a little bit personally because I, I, I'm curious so because I'm dealing with one right now also um when you injured yourself, you said you broke your tibia and your fibula and you're a huge skier. obviously supremely athletic. Mentally, what does that do to you? And how quickly were you able to kind of turn the page and say, I'm already on the comeback trail. Holy shit. Okay, so now I'm looking at the picture. The Aspen Valley Hospital. It's an x-ray of what pr- used to be a leg. It looked <laughs> like it used to be a leg and now it looks like I mean, it's a snap, it's a snap chicken bone. Here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's esque I guess, in, yeah. in there, too. Wow. Okay. What does that do? You wake up yeah. with that leg in a, a cast, or you come out of surgery. What does that do to you?
0: Well, first of all, you know, I was I was trying to break the sound barrier on solid ice. So not, not really well advised. Early in the morning, shouldn't have been in that part of the mountain. I had my whole family behind me. I had skied on, alone for 3 days. They came out. I spent a couple of days not skiing to show my wife that I actually love her more than skiing, you know. And then uh, we all went out and I took off. I was all amped up and I have this sort of philosophy <laughs> that you know, I could do anything. <laughs> and uh, except I didn't realize that I couldn't stop. I actually I didn't actually fall. I couldn't actually stop. I came in and I didn't want to kill anybody at the chairlift, you know, mid mountain and or get Launched off some to the next, you know, and land on somebody. So I kind of induced my own crash, not realizing the the method that I use broke my leg because my skis are on they didn't not send are really high, and you know, it's just it was a perfect storm. So they all skied up onto me, and they thought I was taking a break. My son skis up, hey dad, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, hey, listen, you know, I I, I broke my tibia because I went to try to stand up, and I realized the bones were broken inside my boot. Right? Yeah, mid boot, right? Then my kids drive, come up, and then my wife comes up, honey, honey, I hurt my thumb. I said, okay, I'm sorry you hurt your thumb. Listen, I broke my leg. <laughs> so I, my, my ski buddy for 20 years and a ski instructor who was skiing with my wife said, Could you call Ski Patrol? I went in. I had to keep everybody calm. Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You know, because I have the whole family there. What am I going to do? You know, it wasn't there's until I was alone.
1: have some threshold for pain, too
0: yeah, you know, you have to take care of this. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of adrenaline was masking the pain, but it was starting to hurt, you know, but I couldn't show everybody. I I didn't want them to worry about me. So, you know, do what you have to do, you know. Mm -hmm. And then uh, by the time I got into the hospital, you know, I was thinking, the only thing I could think was, hey, how how are you guys going to take my ski boot off? (laughs) You know, like, how do you do that? He goes, well, you have two choices. We can either, um, we're going to rip it off. There's only way. We can't cut it off. So you can either rip it off with the pain meds that you have now it 's going to hurt like hell, and you 're going to remember it, or we can give you an injection of something and you 're going to hallucinate for like thirty seconds it 's still going to hurt just as much, but you won 't remember it as, as vividly i go i 'll go for number two <laughs> there 's no, no contest right Sounds They good. ripped it off four guys ripped off my boot, two held my leg together, and two ripped off the boot right and but the minute the, the second that I broke my leg, you know it wasn 't a conscious thing, but subconsciously. My subconscious, kind of like, well, Malcolm Gladwell talks about thin slicing, mm-hmm. right? My, my subconscious was thin slicing my situation. They're like, I am, you know, for lack of a better word, screwed here. Not only is my ski vacation over, mm-hmm. okay, and I still have another week here, right, and kids and family and friends that just flew in, but my entire year, which again, I didn't think of it consciously, but I know I'm yep. thinking, oh my God. You know, so all I had to do was get into this mode of recovery, mm-hmm. recovery, recovery. Within two hours, I had a titanium rod, you know, surgically implanted and screws. And, and and you know, 48 hours, I went on a sleigh, a horse-drawn sleigh okay. on painkillers. I went and bought two new pair of skis so to, to, to break in when I recovered. You know, I contacted U.M. Sports Medicine, Lee Kaplan. He's, he runs, uh, Dr. Kaplan ran, runs U.M. Sports Medicine. Got into their therapy. He told them, give him five, because he 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 did my left meniscus surgery, okay. so he knows my 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 discipline and philosophy. And he's like, give Sheree five days a week uh, PT. He can handle it. And so they just treated me like I was one of their athletes, and I probably have had a hundred physical therapy sessions, I, I went every single day, plus in my gym every day at home, seven days a week for five months. You know, just going crazy trying to... So, you know, so I'm, I'm. probably my bone is probably 100% strong, and okay. I'm probably 90% there on my left leg. So. Okay,
1: and mentally, can you push it now? I. Like, do you think about it? Okay, or I say, okay, boom, I, I can kind of go on this thing right now.
0: I'm, I'm starting to get to the pushing part. Mm-hmm. I just, it's been, a, there's, I mean, I, I still, I started to run and I could do a tenth of a mile, then two tenths of a mile, then three tenths, and then I hurt my right meniscus doing the three tenths, because I know I have a little tear in there and it, 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 you know, flared up. So it's a it's a work in progress. I'm not, I don't have the same propulsion off my left, but today I was doing box jumps about this high, oh. which is new, and box, jumping down from the box and okay. landing in a squat. and So I'm starting to get... Agility ladders, plyometrics are just coming back in. I'm, I can lunge, squat, deadlift, all that, but it's the plyometric stuff that.
1: And remember, we're talking to a guy who's in his sixties right now. Regardless of the injury, yeah. what you're talking about—plyometrics, box jumps, ladders—I mean, deadlifting—it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable if you weren't okay coming off of, of that type of injury. That's it's, it's amazing.
0: It's well, the 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 the, th- the problem is coming off an injury where at the time you're at the greatest physical condition of your life. That's where I was, mm-hmm. okay? So I went there, I did my best skiing, hard mogul skiing, all this stuff that I dream of all year. When I go to bed and I think about runs and putting my boots on, these are things that I, I, I kind of create the endorphins that I get from mm-hmm. from training when I go to sleep by re- living them, by thinking about them. I create the same endorphins which makes me relax and fall asleep mm-hmm. and so you know so then here I'm there and it's one of my greatest passions is skiing and you know and uh <laughs> and I'm not gonna let it go away so I will go skiing this season
1: awesome relationships you've mentioned your wife I, I think I might have lost count okay right now uh, at least a half a dozen maybe a dozen times so far Let's talk about relationships. How did you first meet your wife? What was it about your life? How do you approach relationships? Um you said you married your, your best friend.
0: I did. So the first thing that we decided to do when we met was um, not to have sex together right away. Because, you know, we were just in different places in our life, you know. She had just been married and, and I had been married several times and I was I, I didn't actually wasn't looking for a relationship. We all say that, you know, when we're break break up with somebody, you're not looking for a relationship anymore until you get into one. But I was uh, my restaurant was closed and I was doing a um, a renovation, so I took my project manager, who was this twenty three year old Cornell graduate, brilliant, beautiful girl. I say that for a reason. Uh, you'll you are here in a second because my wife thought we were dating. We were okay. Okay. And I take her and my new chef and some wine people. And we go out to a a. Um, a dinner an organic dinner on an organic farm in homestead at night okay with a with a guest chef so i'm getting out of my car she's getting out of her car with her best friend girlfriend hairstylist she was she was shooting burn notice at the time she was the star of, of of a show that was shot here burn notice which did seven seasons and we're getting out and i i had never seen burn Notice. i didn't actually know her And so our mutual friend... didn't gonna help a little bit, right? It was really good. It was
1: really good. So so just to backtrack a little bit. Your wife's name is Gabrielle. Mm -hmm. Gabrielle Adelard, Yes. The actress from the legendary, famous, Scent of a Woman, Al Pacino tango scene. Just to put this in in context. Yes, yes.
0: So we get out and we start talking and I got... I was immediately smitten. Um, And unfortunately they put us in a VIP area Kind of away from her i'm like why didn't i go and sit with them because it was free seating so i walked up to the table it was she was celebrating her birthday it was that week so i because they had a little cake there i saw so i walked i said i said to myself if you don't walk over to talk to her tonight you'll never see her again for the rest of your life go do it so after dinner i walked over i started chatting with her and uh, i told her you know I usually you're an aquarius and i'm an aquarius I said, I usually throw an Aquarius party, but my restaurant's closed. She goes, oh, yeah. I said, but maybe we should do one. She said, that would be great. i throw a great party. I said, well, i throw a great party. So we started arguing (laughs) who threw a better party. So we had lunch. So we had lunch. We never talked about the party. And I got into my car, and I I literally hit my steering wheel, and I said out loud, now that's the kind of woman I need to be with. Because all this evolution that I had been doing was actually to prepare for many things in my life, one of them being her. Because if I hadn't been there, it wouldn't, she would not have clicked with me. I wouldn't have clicked with her. And if she hadn't been where she's at, she wouldn't have clicked with me. So it was kind of this perfect timing. So I created this whole party under the guise. It was really our first date and she didn't know it. We're acting, you know, we're friends, we're talking. I create this whole party. I call other Aquarius like Craig Robbins, who's a dear friend of mine in town. And, you know, I called Ronnie Cycli to come. And it's so the Irani Sakhan, the photographer who's an Aquarian. I said, hey, listen, Craig, can you co-host this with me? Because this girl's gonna think I'm stalking her. It's you know, I'm beginning, you know, I, I need somebody else to help me out for the Aquarius party. So I created this whole thing. We were under construction, we built a tent, I did a dinner for twenty-seven people, you know, I had flamenco dancers, because she mentioned she liked flamenco dancers, and and she still had no idea that I was courting her. <laughs> you know, I feel like really you know, great, great great confidence builder. So the day of the party, I said, listen, Gabrielle, this is not my party. This is your party too. So is there anybody that you would would like to invite besides your friend who introduced us, Gianna, She goes, Well, um, would you mind if I, my ex-husband comes, right? So of course I I I, I take the phone away from my f- face and I go, damn it. Okay. And then I bring the phone back to my face and say, of course he can come, right? And then I hang up and I think, like, well, maybe she's trying to give me a message. Right? And, and she says, oh, and by the way, he's born on the same day as you are, right? So I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Another Aquarius. Yeah. And, and exact same date as mine, okay? Same exact birthday, February mm-hmm. 18th. So we get to the dinner. I seat him on the other side of the table with my – the girl she thought I was dating, which is my project manager – Um, And uh, we start chatting, and about halfway through the dinner, it dawns on her that this is a date. And then she looked at me differently, I looked at her differently, that was our first kiss that night, and I have been together and with her since that day, really.
1: Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Very, very cool story. You started at the very beginning, though, saying you made a conscious decision also not to have sex. Yeah. How does that conversation
0: come up? Well, first of all, talking to my wife, my wife has no filter. There's nothing that she won't talk about. Okay? Whether it's embarrassing to you or to her, she doesn't get embarrassed. Like She'll say anything. So it's very easy to talk to somebody like that, which is at that first launch when I said, like, that's the kind of woman I need to be with. I need to be with somebody that's, you know, that that not only I'm teaching something to, that's teaching me something. Mm-hmm. And And her openness and her ability to... Face her faults, you know. Um, I, I admired so much, and so we started talking. And I don't know how it actually first came up, but we both start. We both agreed, you know, that let's let's take this slowly. Let's let's like each other first, you know. Like, you know, we've you know we both been there, and you know this is and and that's probably one of the reasons why we ended up where we ended up with each other is because we've been there before, so we've tried to do it in a different way. It, it lasted for, it didn't last for, you know, forever, <laughs> okay? But it lasted long enough that we were able to, you know, to have enough glue, I think, in the relationship <laughs> that the, the, the newness of having a sexual encounter didn't wear off so quickly. It made it, made it even better.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you guys like to do most? What's your, what's your thing? What's your perfect day?
0: Well, you know, we bought a house in Coconut Grove that, that she actually found, which is, you know, I had told her I own a house in Miami Beach. She didn't want to live in that house because she said that it has too many. It was the house I lived at when I was a bachelor, right? And she's not that style. It's modern. So it's contemporary. And She's, she's, a, she's a, a hippie, really, okay. who lived in Topanga Canyon for 20 years. So mm-hmm. she found this house. And I told her we're not buying a house, so we sold the other house. You know, lo, lo and behold, I bought the other <laughs> house, <laughs> and um, so we love to be home now. It is like the perfect day for us it is like a day yesterday. You know, we she she was doing some work and I was doing some work, and then we have our kids. We have a Krav Maga mm-hmm. instructor come and teach all our, our daughter and our girlfriends. How old the, are your,
1: are your so,
0: so, so, so my stepdaughter is fifteen. Okay and stepson, 17, and 24. Okay, do
1: you have and, children of your own? And
0: then I have a 34-year-old son who came over yesterday also, and my 9-year-old grandson. Wow, okay. Yeah. And Congratulations. So I, thank you. <laughs> and so then we have a Krav Maga instructor come, who's a son of a dear friend of ours, and he teaches Paisley, who goes to Ransom, and all her girlfriends from Ransom, Krav Maga to defend themselves, all these little 15-year-old girls. It's
1: very cool. My son is, uh, I've got two boys, 15 and 12. And, uh in, in Krav Maga as well oh really and my 15 year old is very excited now because he just was asked to enter their their mentorship program so he can test into this program and we as the parents have to go to the meeting and we have to discuss all the responsibilities and then he can mentor some of the younger up and up yeah. coming but it's uh,
0: it's, great. it's been fantastic
1: for him I mean as an introverted person to develop confidence and security and it's all, everything it's yeah it's been amazing
0: can you imagine what it would be like you know Greg walking down the street and feeling intimidated you know just intimidated like you know, you know because you know someone's looking at you funny or you're picking up on things or you're you know afraid to have confidence you know first of all intellectual confidence when you sit down with somebody that you're not worried about embarrassing yourself that you know you can hang toe to toe with stand toe to toe with anybody intellectually but also physically you know you want to have a, a a persona or low confidence that sends out an energy where someone would want to feel that you're easy prey sure and that's got to be a horrible feeling
1: it's got look I remember I remember it well i I don't think I would have gotten as involved in fitness um, in self-defense and I boxed and everything for a while if I was horribly bullied, you know, yep. as, a, as a 12 and 13 year old. And I remember to this day, the kids that used to come down from high school, you know, the ninth graders, used to come down to middle school when I was in seventh and eighth grade yeah. just to kick the shit out of me. Wow. Specific, but if those everything happens for a reason, you can yeah. let it break you, you can figure it out. But And trust me, they weren't great days. I didn't think I was learning any great lesson at that particular yeah. time anyway but I don't think I would have picked up a weight necessarily or yeah. been inspired to pick up my hands you know, or learn something else right. and, um, if not for those experiences fortunately back then at least it was more I everything mean, was more hand to hand at least the came down you dealt with it you felt
0: like that were shot right.
1: exactly now it's a whole, whole different thing you send your kids off to school but everything happens for a reason and yeah. I think maybe it set me on the path of okay this is important to learn this you know, and you can forward you know or 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 backwards on this stuff yeah so i do think things like self-defense and martial arts and and, and, then bjj and jiu-jitsu and then crop i think they're so important for so many different different reasons male or female
0: my grandson's a great little jiu-jitsu fighter now he's a tiger nine years old it's unbelievable (laughs) to watch him but this kid no one is gonna be able to pick on him. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna start any fights. Yep. But it, nobody is gonna you know, nobody's gonna be able to manhandle him, you know, and, and he'll give an adult you know problems. some problems.
1: I mean I think the toughest people I know are the ones that don't have to tell you how tough they are.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They
1: don't. They walk it, they knock it, you know, everybody knows it. You can it something that radiates and yeah. permeates out of that type of it's true. that type of individual where not the one you're
0: gonna pick on. And right. So those people don't get into you know, it's, the people who get into fights are usually, it's, it's very hard to get into a fight if you don't want to. Correct. You know, like people are like, oh, I always get drawn into fights. Well, mm, <laughs> there's a reason. Mm. Why are you drawn into fights? <laughs> okay. It, 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 if you're not, if you really don't want to fight, it, even though you can defend yourself, and obviously you will defend yourself, you're not going to get into a fight. I mean, 99% chance that you're not going to get into a fight. You know, it's when you're looking around and engaging and you have an ego issue, that's how you get into the fight. Eh? Yep. We're, we're too old for that. When you're at
1: you should stay yeah. <laughs> so, There's that. Um, let's talk a little bit about philanthropy also. Um, and you're involved in, in a number of different causes. Um, very philanthropic family uh, as well. Chairman of the Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation down here. Cancer, my father passed away from cancer. So Sorry. different things. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about the importance of philanthropy and how you've chosen to be involved with the causes that, that are so near and dear to your heart and, and you put so much time, energy, and money into
0: it. So, you know, I, I ask the proverbial question of, why are we here? And, and my answer is, for me, is to make an impact. Make an impact on the planet, on people, you know, hopefully a generational impact, um, something that's felt long after we're gone. I think that's really critical. And when you impact somebody, you impact their children and their grandchildren because there's this trickle-down effect that you've changed them. So Make-A-Wish is a a very important foundation for me. Um, I just rolled off as chairman of the board of directors and now I was elected or nominated and elected as a chairman of the board emeritus um i'm chairman of the make wish ball which we just had in november or two weeks ago um, which we raised 2.4 million dollars that night by the way net and um, and i'm chairman of the make wish capital campaign which uh, we want to build a wish house and we hired a a disney imagineer to design it because the vision is i want to i want to transport our children through emerging technology and experiential architecture to another universe when they walk into the house. So, so far in two years, we've raised $22 million. So i um, really happy about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so Make-Wish means a lot to me. Um, every wish that is granted impacts a minimum of 200 people. So the the, the ball itself and our foundation has impacted millions of people. And that's, that's why I'm here, right? I want to impact millions of people and you know generationally and those people and these wishes will keep going long after i'm gone and you know for generation after generation you know this wish house will be there for 100 years that we're building and uh, and the endowments that we're that we're doing and so nothing gives me more pleasure than that um i'm also involved with uh, i just got onto the, this board um through some friends of mine, once it's on our board uh, at Make-A-Wish, and it's the Greater Miami and Miami Beach Police Foundation. So we we support first responders and their families in all different sorts of ways. Uh, we support police departments, actor shooter classes. We donate and we put up reward money to catch bad guys. And it works. Like we caught murderers by putting up reward money. So I'm with a great group of people that want to make an impact, and animals, too. And so we go after um, animal abusers. Um, so that, that's really important. And then I, I joined a, a... My wife's come and joined me in Make-A-Wish, so there's reciprocity in marriage, <laughs> which I've learned, okay? Um, and that is... So I joined a, a charity that she's on the board of, and I'm trying to help them with my experience of Make-A-Wish, and that's the Pickler Foundation, which is a um, it's headquartered in California... And a Hungarian woman in the 30s, uh, Emmy Pickler, uh, created this, this philosophy of raising infants with respect, which, believe it or not, we tend not to do. And, and she, she tackled this. She was a, she was a pediatrician. She, went, she was a Jewish pediatrician who went through World War II running an orphanage in Hungary, okay? which was not where you want to be as a Jewish pediatrician in, in, in World War II. And um, she's absolutely brilliant. So, so I've, I've, in an effort to help my wife out and her, her people, I joined that, and so, um, and I have a couple of other things that, you know, that I'm on the board of.
1: So you're great at throwing parties also, we talked about that. restaurant tour. you're putting together a dinner. Who do you want that you pick anybody? oh boy who do you want there
0: okay well um, that's a tough one put me on the spot you know that's the one you really want to think about right you know um, well I think you know I'm interested in leadership oh, very interested in leadership so I'd like to put on some great leaders and also I'm interested in, in creative and brilliant minds you know, are we talking living or dead? think be living or dead,
1: actually. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, I think George Washington um, would be somebody I'd like to, uh, to have at that dinner because uh, I read a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about a month ago, and this writer said, you know, what makes George Washington arguably one of the best American leaders of all time? What made him so great? And it showed a portrait, Some, I guess it's a famous portrait of George Washington, on his horse, his horse is rearing up, and it said, success, and then had another portrait, the same exact portrait, and it said, defeat. Okay, so this author broke down leadership into two qualities, two characteristics. Um, One is um, tenacity, right? So, you know, being relentless, right? So he said, George Washington is relentless. George Washington would rather gallop his horse than walk his horse. George Washington, when his troops were taking major hits on on the Delaware, and, and, and on the other side, the enemy was facing them, George Washington galloped his horse through the troops, turned his horse around, put his back to the enemy and started giving orders. That's a guy that you want to follow. But the second ingredient is as important as the first ingredient. And so what's the second thing that made George Washington such a great leader, according to this author? Right? Only narrowed it down to two things, right? and that is his control over his emotions. Because however relentless you are, and I, I say this to a lot of my managers, like, you know, you've lost, your, you lost control. You're relentless, but you're missing the second ingredient. You lost control. No one's going to follow you. When you're up, you're down. You feel defeated. You feel, you know, elated. And so, so that's why I would want George Washington there because I'd have a lot of questions for him on how. Um, another great leader, uh, Ernest Shackleton, Right. And Arnold Shackleton wanted to be the first guy to cross the Antarctic by foot. Okay? So he, he built a ship and he and he recruited all these great, you know, people to sail with him that he that he knew that if they got into trouble that they would survive, right? And you know, he was, you know, the queen, you know, was, you know, anointed him and you know, and he sets out and and oddly enough the name of his ship was Endurance. Okay. And Shackleton approaches the Antarctic and gets his ship stuck between two glaciers. And they're stuck. There's no radios, there's no way out. There is no, you know, we're stuck. So, as the glaciers start squeezing together over months, they realize we got to get off the ship and start heading out because we're not we're going to lose the ship. He picked people that he thought he was very very selective in recruiting the crew for this ship because he knew that if you know if if the stuff hits the fan he's going to need the right people right it's, it's all about people so you were talking about you know what's it's inside a person you know not what do they do but who are they right that's the, that's for everything so so the push came to shove here right so the couple of people turned out to be the wrong people out of the whole crew of this ship so what did he do is he put them in his tent with him right? which is a great lesson right? you want to keep the bad apples from spreading Right, so you keep them really close to you inside Right. one year later they, I think one guy died and it was for like something else it had nothing to do with the, this tragedy so he basically saved everybody and they all made it back to England safely it's unbelievable so I think I would have him there um, uh, maybe Elon Musk um, who I have had the pleasure of meeting um, uh, I think I would have him there I think we need some spiritual people um, you know I think like a, like a Gandhi would be a very interesting person to have there um, Nelson Mandela would be great Um, you know, um, and then I'm trying to think like you know, athletically. I think some great military heroes would be really interesting. I'm not sure which one. You know, maybe like a Patton, or you know, somebody who who understands that you know, sort of what would be like a Game of Thrones, a modern day Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. strategist. Um, I would put a great musician you know um, somebody just asked me if they should invite to this event what's his name um, the, the Israeli violinist Itzhak Perlman so okay. he's going to come to an event that we're mm-hmm. going to my friend said you know we're, we're he's actually my friend is his father's opening the synagogue and he's like I want to surprise my father with a special gift what do you think if we bring Itzhak Perlman to play I go do it <laughs> you know uh, so I, I think those those kind of some of the characters. I wish I had more time to think about it because I'm probably... <laughs> we, can get, we can come back. Okay. okay.
1: Okay. Get in your car after this is over. What's on? NPR. Favorite show?
0: Game of Thrones.
1: Okay. <laughs> what are you reading?
0: Um, At the moment, <laughs> my school books. <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, I read... I read a lot of self-help books. I I read everything Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, uh, Give and Take. I don't know if you've ever read it, but you will love it.
1: Okay.
0: It separates the whole world into givers, takers, and matchers. And it's a a professor academic approach to giving. So it's not like you don't give just because it makes you feel better. You don't give just because the Bible tells you to give. You give because you're going to be more successful by giving. But not by giving to just anybody. Because then you'd be a doormat, and then you're going to end up at the bottom giving to the right people without the expectation of receiving anything will propel you to have sustainable success for the rest of your life. It's an amazing book. Amazing right. message. Yeah. Favorite artist? Favorite artist? Oh my goodness. Um, I have to come back to that.
1: Okay. What's favorite musical artist?
0: Uh... Jimmy Page. Good call.
1: Very, Thank good, you. very good
0: call. Who, by the way, came to one of my Wednesday night events at the Forge, went up to me with me to my office. I have a Stratocaster on my wall. Played my Stratocaster for an hour, okay, in my office with just him, a friend of mine, and myself. And then we went back down. To, then I said to him, "Hey, listen, can we go back? I got to go back down to the party. <laughs> I'm hosting." so I had, a, I had a, an hour with Jimmy Page playing my guitar and he said to me hey, "You know, hey man, I love your guitar, can I have it? I went like yeah, well, yeah sure, he goes no no I want your guitar, I want to play this guitar in concert, I love the action I said well okay you really want to take my guitar? he goes yes I go, okay, so yes you can take it you can take my guitar but I want your word as a man look me in the eye and shake my hand that when you get back home, you'll send me a custom guitar from you. And I trust you, you can take my guitar. Cause I'm not gonna just give it to him, not get anything. Yeah. Well, thank you. Would you <laughs> like my car too? Nobody's
1: gonna believe the story then anyway, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> he goes, uh, so I guess he thought about it and I, it was really nice of him cause he could have just said yes. He probably figured that he's probably gonna forget this ever happened. And you know, by the time he gets back home and having to live up to that, it was probably more trouble than it was worth. So he said, can I at least play it then? I'm not going to take it then. Can I at least play it when uh, you know when I come back here for a concert? I said, of course, which I never heard from him again.
1: <laughs> Probably a little testing you at the same time, too. Hey, most people just give me stuff. I they think just,
0: they do, right? They Please this. take do it.
1: Do I respect this guy? How did we handle this whole situation? There's a little testing moment. Yeah. You know, that's that's here. I'm going to eat the forge. You have to pick one item on the menu. What
0: do I have? For appetizer or entree or just one?
1: Okay. Perfect meal.
0: Okay, so I'm digging the bone marrow that we have as an appetizer right now. And the way it comes out on the bone, you know, in the bone tunnel. And uh, I'm digging that. And I'd have to say I would go with a steak, too, because i got a, a, a new steak vendor out of New York, Masters. The steaks are incredible. And everybody's really digging the ribeye right now. So I would say I would go with the ribeye.
1: Okay. We hit a lot. Yeah. In an hour and 10 minutes. Amazing. I am grateful for, for your time, to have the opportunity to get to know you. This has been, been super cool to learn from you. Uh, more about who you are, really motivating, really inspiring stuff. Sharif Malik, thank you for your time on the Midlife Mail podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, would love to have you back. Anything I can do for you, my friend, just ask.
0: Thank well, it's, it's mutual, and we learn from each other. I learned a lot from you today. You articulated some of the things that I was thinking very well. I appreciate
1: it. I appreciate that very
0: much. And good luck with the decathlon and raising money for cancer.
1: Thank you. We will be back to that next year. So it's been an amazing organization, and appreciate you mentioning that, yeah. too. God bless. Thank you.
0: Thanks, man. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. In's Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit insgroup.net.